Hello, everybody, and welcome to Series 3 of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here from Assemble You as your host. And today I'm joined by Stephen Holderness. Stephen is the Content and Digital Learning Lead at AO, the destination for electricals. He's been at AO for four years and was previously at BPO, where he started in telecoms and eventually moved into learning and development management. It's at BPO that he developed his interest in digital learning design. But back to AO, he's led the transformation of their digital learning offer and has driven engagement in digital learning to record numbers by aligning it to the values of the business as well as the people in it. Stephen, it is a real pleasure to have you join us today. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So loads of great questions to ask you today. I'm really fascinated by AO. I love the brand big fan. I'm a consumer of your your products and services myself as well. What I wanted to start with was going back to the the beginning a bit. So AO has undergone a real transformation in how learning is used, distributed and consumed. We've, We've talked about that in the past, but could you start by talking us through where you were a few years ago as a business and what your learning setup looks like today? Yeah, so AO have gone through a, a real journey kind of as a business and, and in terms of learning. So when I joined the business, actually, it wasn't that long before I joined that they just started to move from everything being in PowerPoint. And, and even before that, there was a lot of trainers where it was in the head and they'd gone through that journey to get it onto PowerPoint. And they kind of highlighted that Death by PowerPoint wasn't where we wanted to be as an organization. And they just brought in the first LMS. And I suppose my, my predecessors have gone on a real journey to make sure there's some really good content available for, for people to access, I suppose. But kind of with that, they really concentrated on making sure the content was there. And kind of my perception of, of where we were at that time was there was lots of great content there not necessarily being used in the right way. A real focus had gone on to the kind of mandated, mandatory training and to make sure that was well established within the business and there were again kind of the completion rates where that needed to be and when we concentrated on the content let's say there was some really good content there and it was a mixture of content that had been developed in-house stuff that we bought into the business but a lot of it was e-learn so very e-learn heavy organization in terms of the digital learning at that time lots of it kind of taking 30 40 60 minutes to complete because it kind of covered everything to do with that subject in the one module and I suppose my perception of where we were at that time is we, we were playing L&D bingo. And by that, what I mean is we were putting everything there and hoping someone would call the number and, and go and access it. We weren't really doing anything to make sure that, or doing enough in my perception to make sure that that content was accessible to people and we was getting it into the right areas at the right time. So more reactive, you'd say, than proactive based on based on that setup yeah yeah absolutely I, th- I think for me it was a case of we had a library a library that probably needed a refresh and was hoping people would go to that library opposed to kind of us really proactive and getting out there and we have lots of different learning programs even at that stage in the organization people development programs apprenticeships that we we're offering but we really weren't tailoring our offering to those and making sure we were getting in the right areas and the reality was in a position where when I first came in role and I started talking to people across the organization, kind of realized early on that I wanted to get the opinions of the people that was going to be consuming the learning. And the reality was that most people were telling me they were going on there for mandated training and nothing else. And, and I suppose that was the position that I kind of found that we were in. So there was pockets of people using what we had well, but that pocket was really small. And there was a 
an opportunity and that's what I, I identified really early to take us to where we are today and we're still on that journey and kind of highlighting areas that we can go to now but I suppose where we are today to answer that part of the question we've really refreshed the content that we offer so we still do it in kind of two pockets there's content we create ourselves but we also still buy content into the business and we've really tried to align that content to what we are offering. So I mentioned before, we've got people development programs. When people join those pre- people development programs, there'll be a pathway of learning that will help them on that journey that they can access through the digital learning. If somebody's coming into the business doing an apprenticeship, we've really looked at that. So part of doing any apprenticeship is you've got your continuous professional development. So we've looked at how we can support that through our digital learning and how we can make that as seamless as possible. So somebody who studied an apprenticeship myself, one of the hardest parts of that was tracking everything they did and how that applied to the apprenticeship. So what we've really looked at, if, if you complete that module, can we track that for you? So I know if I invest my time listening to that audio file and that podcast, if I listen to that time watching that video, if I do that e-learn, that's going to help me on my journey. So that's kind of been what we've done in terms of the content. We've looked at what we buy in to make sure the stuff that we were buying in, does that align to what our people are telling us that they want? Uh, and we made refreshes to that in, in places. And then we put some real principles when we design that content. So I talked a moment ago about a lot of the content being 30, 40, 60 minutes long. And, and kind of what people were telling me very early on was that they either didn't have the time for that with the role that they had, or that isn't what they want. They want the information as quickly as possible. Um, so almost bike size and um, so what we've introduced is some principles if we're designing things ourselves we really try to cater that no more than 10 minutes if it's video kind of no more than two, two or three minutes where possible and those principles have really kind of helped us inform them when we do buy things in is the stuff that we're buying in aligned to what we're doing internally and that's how we balance that uh, in terms of the programs that we offer a- again that in itself isn't enough. That's just capturing a small population within AO. So we've looked at how do we get our content out to the rest of the organization. So if I'm not on a personal development program, if I'm not on a learning program, I'm not in induction, that still leaves a large amount of people in the organization. Again, when we was going out and we was talking to people, one of the things we were telling us, if I've only got 10 minutes, I can't spend 10 minutes looking for a piece of learning that would take me less than 10 minutes to consume. So we really refresh the look and feel to make sure we make it easy for that to find. We've looked at our LMS again on the homepage. One of the things that we found really early on was it was set to the most viewed modules. Well, that was great if you worked in logistics and you was a driver, and it was great if you worked in the contact center. But again, that's quite a small pocket when you look at the whole organization. So we looked at kind of how do we get that so it's relevant to you when I go on that homepage. I've spent quite a lot of time on that. Yeah, I guess most viewed isn't always most useful to that individual, is it? That's absolutely the, that's a thing, especially if you've got mandated training on there, because most viewed will be the mandated training. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, and that's what we were finding. So if you you want a customer service module, you want in a mandated module, great, it's going to be there. If you're working in brand and marketing, if you're working on our legal team, you're working in the recycling plant, where there's a smaller population of people in those teams. It just really wasn't relevant for you. And the reality is, if you go and looking for something and you can't find what you want, you're probably not going to go back there. That is a common problem with any UX design, isn't it? People talk about that all the time. If you go looking for something, you can't find it in the first few clicks. You lose your faith and you drop off. And that first bit is so important. Absolutely. I think if you take our business, for an example, if a customer came on to our website looking for a fridge and all they could say was computers, 
they're probably not going to go back there again. And they're certainly not going to go back when they want the oven, the cooker and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and I suppose our staff, our employees, they are our customers. So it's making sure they can find what they want to encourage them to come back. The other thing that we absolutely looked at with that is pushing out content. And I think there's been a real stigma in the organization that actually, if I push out content, does that become white noise? So it's making sure that when we was pushing out content, it was happening for the right reasons. We was looking at kind of aligning it to things that were happening in the organization, things that were happening culturally, things that was happening in, in the wider world. And how do we align what we've got to offer to what's happening in people's everyday lives? And if, if we do that and that encourages them to come, hopefully there'll then be a halo effect and, and they'll access it more regularly for other reasons. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. It's basically the start was, I imagine what a lot of organizations, a lot of people we've certainly spoken to were like five years ago around digital learning in that they offered, they offered some e-learning. A lot of it was based around mandated training. People got told to do it. They go to the LMS to do it. They drop off and that's, and that's it. And so from there to bring in new programs, to talk to people about how they're actually using learning and, and getting that information out to them and tailoring that to their needs and making learning more available, more accessible and pushing it out to them into di- in different formats and modalities as well is that's quite a big jump, which is awesome to talk about. One thing I wanted to ask, because this is called the Learning and Development Challenges podcast, is once you've been on this journey, whether it's when you started it or, or halfway through, you know, what didn't work? What went wrong? Because everybody loves hearing about that stuff. <laughs> and what did you learn? Obviously, that's my next question on it. So, you know, what, what went wrong? What did you learn? Certainly. And I, I suppose if I go back to something I said a moment ago, I've realized very quickly that I had to come and speak to the people who'd be consuming the learning. And that was absolutely my first learning. My first learning, I thought, before we kind of moved into this world from the outside looking in, I thought if I made sure the right content was there, then people would come. And I very quickly realized that that absolutely wasn't the case. And actually, what does that real content look like and what informs what real content is? Every decision we make, we use data to inform that. But ultimately, it's probably a subjective decision that you're making in a lot of decisions. So the data that I was getting was when I first started was from kind of people that have been in the learning development team, people that have been in roles similar to mine before. Uh, and, and I did a lot of that in terms of networking. But actually, I was networking with people who was telling me what the problems were in their organization. They weren't necessarily the problems within AO at, at that time. So I thought in terms of getting the right content was the right thing. And, and actually, what I found is when I started talking to people, an example of that is, People was telling me that the e-learns that we had in our organization wasn't necessarily the right ones for our organization. So very, very early on, I started looking at alternative e-learn as an option. So I started looking at other providers. Do I grow my team and do we build more of ourselves in-house? And then something happened that forced me to go out or or encouraged me to go out and start having conversations with people in the organization. And actually, through having those conversations, what I found was... 50% 50% of people in our organization describe their personal piece of learning in the digital world as a video. 29% of people describe the perfect piece of learning as a, a podcast or a shortcast. And when I looked at our library, we had very little video and we had no audio. So actually that told me if I've spent all my time and energy into looking at another e-learn provider, that probably wasn't the right thing for us at that stage. 
And then when I look at our team, that's probably the skill we have most of anyway. So that's why we very quickly we realised a quick win for us was to bring an audio provider in because we had the team capabilities with the team to make video. We had the capability to make e-learn. We didn't have the capability to make a really good podcast at that time. And that's what we did. So we, we kind of brought in a provider and, yeah, that really proved successful. But it was a real learning for me in terms of there's no one size fits all and networking is kind of one of the best tools that I, I, I've come across. And you get some really, really tangible advice from different people from their organisations that absolutely will apply. But you are talking to people about problems that they've had in their organisation and it doesn't necessarily mean and what's the right fit for one person in terms of a solution might not be the right solution for, for yourself. Got to be really careful about that Alan D bubble, haven't you? Because you talk to other people in learning and development and they're sometimes talking about things that are maybe a, a little bit more abstract as a concept when it comes to learning whereas you talk to someone in your logistics department and you know they tell you well if you stuck that on a podcast i'd be able to listen to it while i was driving and it's that it's that simple almost as a kind of meeting them at the point of their need versus overthinking it from a learning point of view exactly that and i think that leads kind of really nicely onto kind of what i was going to say is the second point which was I thought there was a, a, a one-size-fits-all when I started, and that proves to be a real problem. And so I thought that everything should be fully digital or as a minimum, as a blended learning. And you take that as an example. So what I found is really early on is I can be quite narrow at, at times and really kind of forceful in, in, in what I want in the right way. But actually what you found was in the areas I was able to influence getting fully digital in, without understanding that that was the right thing to do in the first place or blended and without discovering it was the right thing to do. And when I say blended, it was probably with a waiting to too much digital within the blended that that could really put people off. And, and actually you can end up in a worse position that you started because these people would typically reach out to you because blended or digital was the right thing to introduce to their areas. But if you go full throttle on that and without understanding why, actually it can end, you can end up just turning people off completely and then re-engaging that audience is a real problem and, and it's really, really difficult to get that buy-in again for a second time. And it's the same thing with the content. AO as a business is a fabulous business, fantastic, but it's almost several businesses in one. And you look at the journey that we've been on, kind of the CEO realised really early on, the CEO and founder that, for us to offer the best service possible, we needed to own our own logistics. For us to be able to kind of recycle products in the right way for the customers and offer, we needed to kind of have our own recycling plan. What this means is there's lots of areas, kind of our mobile business, that have been acquired. And when you acquire businesses, they have their own way of doing it. If I have a one-size-fits-all approach, which is something I definitely learn, what is right for one area might not be right for the other. So it's not as easy as saying what's right for your business. It's what's right for the individual. And it took me a long time. It was actually through something completely different that I started to really reflect on that. So I was in a management training session, which was on Ken Blanchard's situational leadership. And in situational leadership, it talks about not treating somebody as a good employee or a bad employee, to judge them on the tasks and it was when I was thinking about that that I probably first saw the symmetry and actually let's let's treat kind of each area in terms of what they need instead of one, one business. And if you're doing that with an individual who's doing a task and you're judging it on all merits, 
that's absolutely transferable. I actually should do that in a lot more areas. And it was it, I, that was like a light bulb moment for me in terms of some of the noise and the pain I was probably hearing at that time was through having a one size fits all approach. So yeah, that was a, a very quick uh, learning for me. I, I was being at a company that was acquired previously, and just you know, if you're trying to win hearts and minds of a business and integrate them into a new company, merge the employees in, all that kind of stuff. There's almost nothing worse you can do than force the way you do things on them straight away because they're, your immediate reaction to that as uh, as someone who is in that position is, no, well, that's not how we did it. That's not how we do things around here. You know, So super important for so many reasons. And that the Ken Blanchard, brilliant leadership stuff. I'm yeah, big, big fan of, big fan of his books and work. Yeah, me too. It's, it's some somebody I've looked into a lot from. Sometimes you're in their training and something really resonates with you, don't you? And that was certainly one of those occasions that has made me look into that to a lot more. And again, sometimes I find myself in those trainings looking at how we can embed that. And that was definitely one of those occasions that made me, from a, a piece of training that really engaged me, made me think about what we do better. And it was kind of, again, in that training, I started thinking about how do we align our programs because we offer this as an internal program, how do we complement that with our digital offer? And that, again, was the start of that journey in terms of let's align what we're doing and stop playing bingo, and let's make sure that people are aware of what's out there. And that was one of the ways of doing that. And, and I suppose that the last learning that I kind of reflect on was we work in an industry that's continually pivoting and we're inventing and adapting. And I found sometimes I got influenced by the shiny new thing and that shiny new thing can disappear as quickly as it came. And that was a real learning very quickly for me. And again, I was in a webinar and, and listening to, to a talk and somebody referenced a, a statement in there, which was from Jeff Bezos, which was around concentrate on the things that aren't going to change. And that really changed my journey in the role in terms of if we concentrate on the things that will be stable, then kind of you get the core right then by the time you've done that, you, you'll be in a really good position that it's not wasted time when you're looking at it because you're enhancing your offering. Where at that time, when I was learning that, we was, what we was probably doing is building the foundations of our offering and making sure the foundations were right. So spending the time on something for three months to then find out that actually that new product that launched is now this new product and it does everything that that one does and all this other stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, that was a real learning for me. In, in terms of, yeah, there'll always be new technology and absolutely go out there, look at what it is, understand it, but spend your kind of 80% of your focus on the things that won't change because that's what will get you the biggest results. Strong foundation will allow you to build something successful. Brilliant. So yeah, and one size doesn't fit all. That's another quote that I took from your, from that piece. So thank you for sharing that. That's brilliant. So when I think about AO, I think, you know, Real British success story, as I mentioned, I've definitely used you guys in the past. It's grown enormously. I think pretty much everyone in the UK will be able to quote the slogan that's behind you right now because it's on the TV and radio all the time. Ao, let's go. You know, the the company and the business has grown enormously. You've acquired other businesses, and that kind of pace of change is really difficult. So it must have been very hard to both manage building a strong foundation for learning and the team around that, but also as the business is changing it's the whole like you know building the plane while you're flying it metaphor if you like it's things things are changing as you as as you're trying to implement stuff so talk us through how how that has worked and maybe some of the things that have worked well not worked so well 
working again at AO is amazing and, and I've never worked at such a value-orientated business. And one of the values at AO is AO speed. And I suppose that's what your question alludes to in terms of we've seen massive growth, there's lots of change. How do we kind of deal with that? And I think it goes back to the point I made before. If we concentrate on the, the things that aren't going to change, then the other stuff will become easier. So the things that aren't going to change are we'll always need robust processes in place. So when a change happens, there'll be an impact assessment. There'll be a training request that comes around the back of that impact assessment. If we've got our processes in place and we've got those right, because that process isn't going to change, we'll be equipped to deal with that change. If we consider in every decision that we make the company's values, we consider the kind of what the company's goals are, we will make the right decision when we get to that change. Again, if we continuously develop as a team, kind of one of the things that I'm always on with my team is let's have a habit and create the habit of personal growth. Because if we do that, we'll deal with these things right. So we're always looking at kind of what are the right courses? Do we use our apprenticeship levy? What webinars are available? If we do all those things and we will be equipped to deal with the change, the only thing that's predictable is you don't know what the change is going to be, but there will be change. So yeah, it's all for me, it's all about if we get what we do right, we, so we are equipped that when that training request comes in, before we go and build on that, we know what's in our library and do we have something there? So, and if we do have something there, why didn't that person know about it? And we kind of realize and say, why, why have we got to a situation where somebody's asking for something that we already have? And we learn from that. If it is that we don't have something, we're, we're in the position that we can build something that's going to achieve their needs. If we do all that stuff, then actually the growth's a nice problem. The day you sat there twiddling your thumbs is the day you've got a problem, isn't it? And actually, <laughs> yeah, be, being really busy kind of tells us that we're doing the right things. So, yeah, as the business grows, what it does is create more opportunity. And, and you think about the modern world and you don't know where you might be in 5, 10, 15 years' time, all these new opportunities. And as we grow, what it's doing is giving you new experiences because the fundamentals are right for us to deal with those new experiences would deliver a good result and all that does is grow you as an individual and i think that's that's what i've taken from that success if we can mirror and capture some of that what's made ao a success with our team will absolutely be a high functioning team and we'll we'll achieve the right things yeah i like that a lot i think there's so much to be said in business for like strong foundational processes as well and it it might sound like excruciatingly boring to people listen that's talking about business processes but i've noticed it you know in a we're a much smaller business but where we have a good solid process in place i don't know say it's onboarding a new partner or on build you know onboarding a new client there's a good one you know for us having a good solid process in place means that any slightly different requests or unusual requests or whatever that come in around that onboarding and that ramping up it's a lot easier and it's a lot lighter lift because we've got a lot of the basics ready to go and we've got a lot of the thought has gone into what we can do we know what we have already we can draw on etc it's the same in in learning and development as well isn't it because you're going to be getting requests from all sorts of different departments and you know you want to be in a place where you're not just a department that handles requests. That's that's a very backwards way of looking at learning and development. Whereas if you've got, like you say, a good amount of a good amount of processes in place to deal with it, when that change does come, you need to react quickly. You're on the starting blocks in the sprint position, to use a, a running or a sprinting metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what kind of 
one of the things that we learned that's helped us with that is we're quite a small team and understanding. And, and one of the things I found, again, I suppose going back to your early question of the learning was within our team, we'd find things out once they'd happened or once they were much further down the line where we could have, we really could have done with finding out much earlier. So one of the things that we've kind of launched is a, is a champion approach uh, where we've highlighted people across the business that some of them we've highlighted because they really engage with our learning and, and actually they, they were always kind of engaging, liking, loving our content. So we knew that they were kind of passionate about what we do in a sense. It, even if their passion was their own personal development, they were finding that they could service what they need through us. So engaging those people would be easy. In other areas, it's because the, a business need's been driven and we found out. So through that, somebody's become an SME and you've built those relationships. What that's enabled us to do by having these champions across the businesses, we find out things a lot earlier. So we're not having to react. So when a training request comes in, actually we might have been told six months ago, or oh, did you know they're considering doing X, Y, Z, or they're looking at... And what we're in a position to do is we will already know what's in our library at that stage. We can anticipate what the request might be. So, again, something that happened along the line is in our operational areas, we've got people whose first language necessarily isn't English. So at the time we got the request in that we need to make modules available in kind of some of the other European languages, we was already in a situation where we'd highlighted if that comes in, there's kind of these three providers that could help us with that that translation service around. So we'll still build the content ourselves and was in a position we could move really quickly. So we had the process in place to allow us to bring that provider in quickly, but we'd, we'd search the market and understood what would be right for our business if, if we did that. So again, you're absolutely right. The, the, those processes, you get those right, you've got the right people around you and you're building that coalition all the time. Again, everything becomes easier. I love that network effect as well, because I think like pretty much every learning and development team is a small, often siloed in many ways part of the business because you might sit in HQ and you might have a big distributed workforce, etc. And so having people that are boots on the ground who are ambassadors for you, who talk about learning, but also are giving you that real time feedback in terms of, you know, what what's happening out there is yeah, is super helpful. And we've I've talked to quite a few learning development managers about about that. And actually one of the best ways of, you know, that's come up again and again to get to get learning out there and to get people interested in learning is to is to go out through those networks as well as getting information coming back in. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think not everybody, but the same amount of people you you can launch a piece of training and you go and ask them and they'll be polite and they'll tell you it's good even if that's not the reality. And I think yeah, if you have that network of people, you'll get real feedback and you'll understand really what is landing well in your business, what things you maybe need to develop develop where you maybe need to start again and a different thought process and again that starting again that that can really vary from business to business and um, especially in our organization there's still areas of business and I, I alluded to before the 50 percent being video the 29 percent being audio there's still areas of our business if we only had audio or video that wouldn't be right for them and they they still engage and they love the e-learn there's other areas that just will never touch so again, understanding those different areas, being we can make sure the right decisions, so we don't switch the wrong thing on and we don't push the wrong thing out to those areas. Yeah, exactly. So let's change that slightly because I, I really want to talk about mandated versus non-mandated training. Because you mentioned this earlier, so I guess almost like phase one of any learning and development rollout tends to be 
mandated training you know for various reasons insurance just you know lots of different lots of different reasons you need to get that mandated training done safety you know being a big one etc so how have you helped develop a a culture because i feel like every time i talk to you guys the culture is so so strong there but there's a real feeling i get around learning culture as well and people enjoy learning and do give that honest feedback a lot of the time have you got to that more proactive learning culture versus that more reactive i've been sent a piece of training i got to do culture yeah the first thing is just understanding why the culture was the way it was where where people only visited when it was a mandated piece of training and i suppose when you look at the results of that there was three predominantly three reasons first one is that that was the first time they've been on on our kind of learning platform and that learning just didn't really didn't engage them at all and the second is that maybe they were engaged but then they didn't know how to find what they needed to find thereafter. I suppose the, the final thing is that they were engaged and they were consuming um, learning, but that was much smaller pocket of people. And, and when we tried to really understand kind of why it was, it goes back to some of those things we discussed before, Adam. But for, for us, that again, operational contact centre staff, overwhelmingly when we spoke to them, it is, we might only have 15, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour maximum for us to go and consume that learning because for us to get off our operational job, our daily job, we have to kind of get time booked off by the manager. And although they're allowed that, they then might click in 10 e-learns, all of which are longer than half an hour. They might then kind of go and look for video and the video doesn't exist for what they want. On um, that, actually, Stephen, sorry to break your flow. Is there like a, a company policy around how much time people are allocated to learning or is it the discretion of the kind of manager the the team but how does that work yeah. out interest yeah so again one of our values is having a growth mindset and it's encouraged that kind of our employees do that and it's hard to give a, a again one answer them. so i suppose it depends in what area they work in so if they're in the contact center they will absolutely allocated development time so how that works is kind of through the one-to-one and the manager and they will set kind of the goals that the individual's working on. They will be given time to then go in. So they, from that, they might highlight actually on, on your learning platform, there's an e-learn, there's a video, there's a, a podcast that I want to listen to, and they will be allocated that time to do that within the working life. In the operational areas such as logistics in our recycling plants, again, that would just be a conversation with the manager. In other areas, it, it can, we work on a, a position of trust. So... If somebody wants to do something, and they, as long as they can deliver what they want to deliver or they need to deliver, then they, they just go on and do that. It's not a case that you have to get that scheduled in. So if you want to sign up for a webinar, you want to consume a piece of learning, you, you do that. As long as you're delivering what you need to deliver, that's that's kind of trusted that you, you're doing the right thing. So, yeah, so as well as when we, we work in a position, once we've understood why people aren't consuming that's then when we could take the appropriate action, which is what we did. So what first thing was refreshing that mandated training. So overwhelmingly, kind of the modules that we offered before weren't engaging people. And that's not blame blame at anyone's mm-hmm. door who, who did that before. Some of that, it may be down to the SMEs who helped inform that. So when we're designing any mandatory training, we will work with SMEs who are, are kind of the leads in that area who are responsible for. So if we take information security and phishing, we'll work with the SME for that area, who's the person who, who heads that department. What we found is some that all of those SMEs will want to include absolutely everything in. So a starting point for us was to say, 
let's agree a time frame that's appropriate. So actually, if you look at how those e-learns are being consumed that you're doing at the moment, actually, people are absolutely rattling through the second half of it because the concentration levels have gone. People are doing it in two, three sittings, and that's when people forget to go back to it. So can we reduce it and agree that we'll reduce whatever module down to 15 minutes, 20 years max? Once we've got that, it's then how do you do that? So you do that for a mixture of what information is absolutely relevant? What do we need for that person to know to be compliant? And what's the nice to have? The nice to have that can that sit separately. So if people want to engage that, that's absolutely fine. They can go and get the more information on it, but we're giving them what they need to know for that situation. And then it's also looking at how that's presented within the information, because typically what you can put in an e-learn, if you can have that in a video, or you can have that in a, a podcast, in an audio learning, that could consume much quicker than uh, an e-learn. And kind of influencing that meant that actually our, our e-learns are no longer kind of text heavy and they're no longer a chore for people to go through. So again, we've just launched the first one. So our calendar for mandated learning runs from February uh, to October. Um, each year so we miss out the peak period we, we wouldn't do any in that period i say yeah don't want to do stuff in like that in q4 <laughs> do you in retail absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. so but by doing that so we've just launched our first module and we've really refreshed the look and feel we've put a lot more video in there we've got kind of some audio in there the first one's launched and, and what we found is we've already got as many likes even though it's only 10 percent complete we've already got more, as many likes and engagement on that content than we did in any previous mandatory or mandated module. So that means that people are enjoying it, the more likely to go and consume the other things. Mandated training isn't always enjoyable and not, it's not going to float everybody's boat. So then again, it was understanding those reasons. So if people were then going on to search things, so the second option that I said before is someone completes the mandated learning and then they can't find what they're looking for. So we've really refreshed that. So how do people search for content? How do we find it? So the homepage is more relevant. So they might be able to find what they're looking for just on the homepage without searching or clicking anywhere else. We've kind of got a, a section on there, which is an explore section where people could go and find the topics that are the most searched topics or what people are telling us are more, the most interested in. And, and, and again, by doing that, it's all about for us making it as, as fewer clicks as possible for people to find the answer that they're looking for. So does it even need to be a module? Do we put some answers on there that are just questions and answers? What is the right way? And the, the more that we do that, we see the engagement growing. So as we made all these changes last year, we were kind of 60% up on the number of modules viewed from the year before uh, to this year. And the year before that was our highest year. So it's certainly making the right the right waves. People are coming to us more openly to, to modules. So what we was finding before is, there are a lot of external links and people self-serving where at the more we do and the more the word gets out there, kind of the more requests that we do get in, the more they engage the champions in their areas and they come and say, actually, we've got a real business need for this. How can we help with that before it becomes a training request? Yeah, so that's been a real journey. I think it's just about understanding that mandated journey isn't going to engage everyone. So how do you make that more engaging? And then what are the reasons that people don't visit all the other great stuff that you've got? And when you can understand that, you can address that. Brilliant. So making mandated more engaging, being proactive, you know, ear to the ground, knowing what's going to come in and being able to, you know, think ahead. And then, you know, using your champions as well to influence and to help to help get that 
close that feedback loop almost. That's brilliant. And the, you know what? It's so important that that point you make about mandated training. And I think you've probably like uncovered one of the massive, like unfortunate truths around digital learning in the last 10 to 20 years, which is when I tell people, I don't know, family or friends outside of the industry, what I, what I do, I, you know, I'm in online learning, digital learning. Their first thought a lot of the time is, oh, e-learning. You know that there's you can literally see the you can see the thought process and you can see the they're going oh god you know you don't you don't do those horrible health and safety courses that have to sit through do you but that's the kind of thing that that you see happen and that first impression or how a lot of people engage with online learning or have engaged with online learning for the you know for their first time in the how, whenever that was in their career that can have a really negative impact on their decisions going forward you know they might just instantly turn around and say no it's not for me that e-learning stuff i just want to be in a classroom and that's how i learn better and that's completely untrue they just yeah they just had a bad first experience exactly exactly that i don't know, i think i think about my own journey and i think i, I found a, a job that i love and i kind of want to be in for a long long time i think i probably would have got there sooner but in a previous life in, in my previous organization i worked on a contract which was telecoms and that training, so, and it was from a training perspective, I was delivering the training. And when it when I went in the trainer trainer to understand what that training was, the first four days was all mandated learning. And kind of somebody in the infinite wisdom had decided to make this superhero that was related to the telecoms, which was great for the first module. When you're four days on, oh, it's 4.30 in the afternoon and you're still watching this superhero save somebody from a mandated training. Yeah, I just never wanted to see the superhero again. But actually, all the superhero was doing was masking that actually the rest of the module was just words after word after word. And I think if you understand your people, you'll make sure it's right. And kind of what we do at AO, I'm fully appreciative in other organisations, wouldn't fit what they do. But for us, kind of 50% of people told us video was what the preferred learning was. Again, 29% of audio, none of that factored into our mandated learning. And that's the bit we're forcing people to do. The bit you force them to, why would you not make it that it's enjoyable for them as they can be? So, And that's been a real focus. So yeah, we really changed that. We've got a lot more video in there. Let's say we've got the audio. It's a mixture of face-to-camera videos. It's animated videos where it's appropriate and, and to kind of real tell the story. And, and let's say that's, that's been really powerful for us and the results are showing for themselves. Yeah, yeah, that you just just by simply creating a better first impression, like you say, you're getting more likes on this latest piece because more effort's gone into it, and that's just gonna has become a self fulfilling prophecy by the sound of it. In that more people are then coming back to you for their non mandated needs, and that has that has helped kind of yeah boost and launch that side of things. It's the halo effect that that causes because what we found in the past is when we put that mandated training out, you could see the amount of views on the on the platform was the amount of people that have viewed the mandated learning what we've seen is as the training has become more engaging the kind of last week as we've launched a new calendar in february the views on those days is is a lot higher than just the people viewing the mandated training so what it's causing the halo effect where somebody's going on they're enjoying it as a, i never thought i'd seen the day somebody actually commented with a love heart on the on the comment on a mandated piece of learning. I didn't, I didn't think that day would ever come. You've but actually, when I, <laughs> I hope you yeah, celebrated that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But what I then did was go and look at that gent's profile to see what he did afterwards. 
And the reality was he's then looked at four or five other modules. Yeah, if he'd have gone on and not had that experience, then he'd never have done that. Yeah, it's your gateway, isn't it? And it's it's the whole like best foot forward, great first impression, all those things that we know ring so true, yet a lot of people will still, yeah, put their learners through mandated training that they know isn't isn't the best version of yeah. what they can do. So I think that's um, absolutely polite way. It's the it. AO thing again. If I consider that with AO, what we find a lot of our customers do is they will test us with something. If they've kind of maybe heard the jingle on the advert or somebody's told them about something, but they've not experienced those ourselves, you will often see kind of Trustpilot reviews that say, I ordered this, I now need to do my full kitchen and I will be using AO. And our customers are no different. Our people are no different. If they're going on the mandated learning, they haven't got experience, they'll buy more things from us, they'll go and consume more, more modules. It's like it, it's complete common sense when you say it out loud, isn't it? But I think there's a lot of organizations not doing it. So, you know, hat off to you guys for, for, for actually doing it. What's your next move in this kind of build around learning culture? Have you got any aces up your sleeve you want to share with us? So I mentioned before we've launched audio for the first time this year, and that's been a real success in terms of the numbers that that's driven. So kind of in our first year, we had circa 11,000 listens on the audio learning. What we've learned in that year is we've had a great amount of listens, but we've also kind of had feedback that the the provider we went with wasn't necessarily the right provider for AO. And and, and again, I think it goes back to understanding your people. When we made that decision, if we'd have understood our people a bit more, when we was making that decision, we probably would have come to a different decision. And, And before I say this, it's... It's nothing against that provider. They would absolutely be the right fit for another organization. But if you look at, because we are so values driven, you look at some of the titles in their library, uh, didn't align necessarily to what we was, our goals and our values. And I think we was kind of blinded by the, the absolute plethora of learning in their library. It was in the high thousands. And, and that's what kind of swayed our decision, but actually now knowing what we know, it would dissuade it in a different way where we would have gone for what was the right quality for our organisation, what was the right titles. So where we're going in the time, terms of our strategy for this year, our changing audio provider, you might have heard of them, Adam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard they're a good bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, we're really excited. We're launching that actually kind of the back end of this month. Um, we're excited. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, yeah, we can't wait because we – the, the people that we showcased it to so far to make sure we were making the right decision are kind of really infused. And I talked before about building that coalition. If you're changing anything, you've got to have that coalition of people that move with you. And, and actually, there's already so many people that are proactively approaching me to say, when's it coming? I can't wait. We didn't have that before. But from the understanding audio is the right thing to finding the right provider, there's a real excitement across the business. The other thing that we're doing that will kind of transform what we do for our people at the moment is video. So I talked about kind of 50% of people describe videos that preferred learning, and we had that skill to build that video ourselves. What I didn't potentially anticipate maybe as well as I should have done was although people in the organization know e-learn isn't necessarily the right thing in situations, it is also a case of it's all they've known. So encouraging SMEs when they put those training requests in, when we're kind of going and saying, we're going to make this learning on here, kind of who can help us with that, to allow us to put that into a video 
because they don't know what good looks like in that space has proven difficult. And we've not made anywhere near the amount of videos that we anticipated or would have liked for that reason. So we've had to revert to e-learn or kind of other, other training methods. So what we're going to do is bring in a, a provider. Again, we're really excited for the kind of really crisp quality 4K videos, but the face to camera and much like yourselves in terms of when you create your, uh, create your library, you, you kind of collaborate with absolute experts. You've got your series with Liggy and, and all those guys and you're getting real expert opinions. The provider we're going with puts kind of real experts in front of the camera. And um, so it's kind of absolutely the right thing for our business. And again, when we're showing people in our business, the same, the same people that was previously saying, no, let's do an e-learn because we know that a land well, a couple of them have turned around to me and said, oh, we could do this ourselves, couldn't we? And, and we could use it. And that's what we're really hoping for with the changes to the library that we're making. We're hoping what that will do is open up so we can get some of our experts in front of a mic or for, in front of a camera and, and real kind of, so we've got this library of really great content that is in the method that people want with kind of the broader subjects or the stuff that's really AO specific. Let's get some of our experts kind of recreating that look and feel to get that message out there for us. So that that's kind of where we're going this year. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's people's acceptance and opinions of videos, you know, th thanks frankly to TikTok and places like that, kind of the more informal, less polished face to camera recording a few opinions or a few great ways of doing something or whatever is yeah it's definitely more accepted these days so it's we we'll always put out really high quality audio that's our thing i guess that's our usp but there's yeah there's definitely uh, an argument to say when you're you know doing stuff yourself in-house quick simple scalable if you've got lots of smes is a really nice way to do it and you've got a great system in place you know because you've got that foundation and you've got a good learning management system that you're on to be able to distribute that make it findable and and searchable for people absolutely and, and for us everything that we do i suppose what underpins everything that we do is about creating the habit and if you think about kind of the habit forming and, and how that's done habits kind of teach people to suck eggs it, but the habits of our behaviors and they can be changed. So I suppose what, what I'm trying to say by doing what we're doing, we're hoping we could create a culture which recognize the benefit of what we're doing and encourage regular usage. So we will absolutely push out and we will market what we're doing. We'll do that by doing roadshows. We'll do that by pushing out content. We'll do that by aligning what we're doing for the programs. But Actually, that's our voices. And the most powerful thing that will ever happen in our organization is somebody that the person recognizes saying, oh, you're struggling with that. Why don't you, did you know there's a video on that? Or does you know the audio? And we'll only do that by creating the habit um, of getting people on there themselves. As that comes that person's habit, hopefully we can encourage it to come somebody else's habit. Uh, and that's every, everything we're doing. So kind of the changes we're making in terms of the audio and the library is about trying to encourage those people to go there more. So if we're pushing them there one day to do a mandated, they're going there the next day because kind of they've got a coaching session and it's come with a real coach culture. And the manager's saying, oh, you're struggling with that. Let's kind of assign you as part of your coaching. Are you going to watch this video? Are you going to listen to this kind of assemble you topic? Then that hopefully then when they need something themselves the next day, they'll go and look for it themselves. They've done been on there three days in a row. And then it becomes so again, if you look at kind of habit stacking, 
one of the things that we're really encouraging managers to do now is when they have a one-to-one, why don't they kind of encourage their person who's attending that one-to-one to book out the 15 minutes, half an hour afterwards? Because you know what it's like, you go to a one-to-one, you leave, you go straight back to your day job, you then your next one-to-one comes around, you seem to have blinked and you've not done anything with those actions. Where actually if they can habit stack and, and we can encourage part of that habit stacking to use our, our learning platform, they can look at what they've learned, have that scheduled time and they can put some of that learning, okay, we highlighted through that one-to-one or that coaching session that this is a development area. Let's see what there is on there. Okay, in one click, I found something that's going to help you on that. Let's box that. I go back to my next one-to-one. The manager says, what you've done about that? There's kind of a real loop. Uh, and then now, obviously, the manager rewards, rewards them. They reward themselves and everyone feels happy. And it kind of creates that habit. And that's that's really what we're trying to help and encourage as well this year. Brilliant. We need to wrap up. I do have one final question, and this can maybe be a bit of a quick fire one, which is, can you give some top tips for anyone coming into learning and development right now? So maybe maybe to your younger self or to you know someone coming into the team? Yeah, certainly. So I think he probably absolutely just summarizes kind of the, the things that we've talked throughout. And but for number one for me is kind of be fluid in your thinking. The one size fits all is great until it isn't. And no when it isn't, we'll come soon. So consider what you're trying to achieve what the requester wants or kind of why the feedbacks come. Uh, and, and then once you've done that, more importantly, what is it that the people want? So the requester will come from their angle. They won't necessarily consider what's the best for the learner. They will consider that they've got this problem. Once you've considered all those things, build a coalition that will help you and, and capture feedback about what's good developmentally in the moment. It'd be the most powerful tool in your army. If, if you kind of think fluid, understand there's not one size fits all you've absolutely achieved the results that you, you're trying to achieve i think secondly for, for me one of the the big things is look inside before looking out so there's a massive companies out there and all of them with the potential to help improve your offer but keep up to date with what's out there so when the time's right you have an idea what you might do but before you do apps uh, and you signpost kind of people to it what have you got in your own library? Is it the fact that you're looking externally? So I could have gone out there in the very early days and spent thousands and thousands of pounds when actually there was really good stuff in our library. It's just nobody knew it was there or kind of they were searching for it. It wasn't tagged with the right things. It didn't have the right kind of descriptions. And again, it goes back to what we discussed before in the kind of looking inside before looking out. If you do get to a scenario where you are going to look out, there are some really good providers out there but the provider who's perfect to AO might be the wrong thing to somebody else. So absolutely get opinions of others. But I say trust your own judgment because you'll know what's important to your people and you'll know what's important to your organisation. Yeah, I think fair is, again, I've discussed it a few times, is put effort into what's constant and what's likely to stay the same. Uh, if you do this, it'll ensure that your core offer is great, it's easily accessible and people will share it for you. Um, so we kind of we saw examples of that internally when we launched the audio provider last year. We did big comms on that, and we was trying to understand how well it landed. And we had a found there was four separate book clubs in the organisation that people were running themselves and sharing those titles. Things like that are, are absolutely massive. But if you put the effort into what's constant, and I think AI is the absolute buzz at the moment. And I was on a really great webinar the other day, and it said that kind of in 2021, only 3% of AI projects succeeded. And in 2023, the prediction is 
they're still working through the figures, but it looks like it's going to be 67% of those projects. And I think that's a great example of why you put your effort into what's the constant, what's not going to change, kind of, and with having an eye on what might develop in, in the future. Because if it, last year there was so much buzz around AI, if we put all our kind of concentration into AI and then kind of only 97% of those then failed, <laughs> then that, that would have been a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that would third. I think fourth, and this is something that I, I was having a conversation the other day, and it's something that really resonated again from the start of my journey. He's done his better than perfect. So, again, I've seen it's a title in the library, and it's one that I really can't wait to listen to. It's um, one of my favorite sayings. <laughs> yeah, listen, the, the, the fight for perfection versus minimal viable product can be really real, but in most cases, 80% is probably good enough. Of course, we'd all like the outcome to be, or everything we produce to be 100%, but the way I've kind of discussed it in the past with people, I've, I've had people in my team in the past that have really kind of, kind of pushed back on this. But I said to them, if you spend the time making that extra 20% perfect, but it's not going to affect the learning goal and it's not going to affect kind of the user experience, then what you're doing is spending 20% of the time where you could be helping someone. So if you think about kind of that 80-20 saying that kind of, yeah, that that eight percent of results come from twenty percent of effort. That actually you could have produced most of another module that's really important to the business in the time you was doing that twenty percent, which would have a far bigger impact than that twenty percent ever going to have. So yeah, so that that been my fourth one done is better than perfect. And then my final one, and it was the biggest learning for me. It's something I didn't consider when I came into this role. Is market, market, market. You can have the best library in the world, but if nobody knows it exists then it's just collecting dust. No, Nobody's getting any benefit from it. So I, I, I attended a, a learning recently and it said that kind of readers are selfish, lazy and ruthless. And at first I was a bit like, but actually when you consider that, the chances are a good number of people won't be sat there thinking, I wonder what kind of learning Stephen's got for me and when's he going to send me that email to let me know about it? Do you know, if it's not there, it's not easily accessible, they're not going to access it. And it goes back when we're talking about the mandated training before, and a lot of people didn't know it's that if they don't know it's there, they're not going to use it. You don't know what you don't know. So absolutely market, market, market. And an example of that within AO is I started pushing out emails on a Monday and a Thursday, and I built a calendar. And on, on that learning that I pushed out, I looked at what was happening in the business, what was happening culturally, kind of what are the kind of training requests we're getting in, and that would inform what we pushed out. And once I'd done it for three or four weeks, uh, somebody in the organisation pulled me in and just said, can I just check? This is getting a bit annoying, kind of, why Why we're doing it? Is there any benefit to doing it? And what I found is that first couple of weeks where I did it, we got so 50 to 100 more listens that day. By week three or four, it was 100 to 20 more listens on the days that we promoted content. Now when we push something out, it can be anything from 400 to 1,000 more listens on the day we push content. What? Absolutely. And what I'm pushing out absolutely doesn't have four to 600 listens. It might have two to three hundred, or, or kind of. So what I'm saying is, be bullish. Don't be afraid to kind of shout about what you do because actually, the more you make people aware, people will then do that for you, and you can scale that back. So we'll get to a point where I don't need to do that anymore because, or I hope we'll get to a point where I don't need to do that quite twice a week. I might be able to do it once a week because those lessons will be generated organically, but. It's a massive difference when we're doing that and people are engaging. So it's not a case of, of pushing out learning and kind of people are clicking on and going off it. They're completing that learning. They're going on doing three, four more learnings. They can see that benefit. 
And so, yeah, my, my last one will be market, market, market. Not everyone's going to do it for you. So, yeah, just be bullish. Brilliant. Yeah, it is a scrap for people's attention, isn't it? Especially especially knowledge workers, you know, where, where we've got, I guess, choice over how we spend our time. I think the majority of us want to do more learning and it's there. We just need to be gently nudged and ushered in that location or given something that interests us and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get it done. Totally. The, bit, the biggest privilege for me since I started doing this is we used to see kind of the, the learning platform was engaged in working hours. And we have an app and the learning platform has an app and it just wasn't used. And kind of when we pushed out the audio loan, when we started doing some of those other things, you can now see people listening and consuming learning outside of work hours. And that's not forced on anybody. We never do that. It's not absolutely not the right thing. People are choosing to do that. The biggest, most precious thing in life is people's time. You can't put a value to that. So it's someone in their spare time, whether it's when they're driving home, they're on a run, are choosing to listen to a piece of learning that we've put out there. That's that's an absolute privilege because they could have done anything else with that time. So I think it shows what you're doing is the right thing for that person. But yeah, I, I do generally find that a privilege that, that people are doing that. Brilliant. That's a that's a lovely note to to end on. So Stephen's top five, fluid in your thinking, look in before looking out, put effort into the stuff that's going to stay the same, Done is better than perfect and market, market, market. I feel like there's an infographic in that, Stephen, that we might make yes. at some point. <laughs> so that sounds Brilliant. really good. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. And yeah, we'll be back soon, everybody, with a another episode of the Learning Development Challenges. We're hoping to release them every couple of weeks now. So we'll be back soon with our next installment. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Adam. Oh.